The Courageous Coaching Podcast is hosted by Sophia Antoine, a certified life coach supporting women in their efforts to improve their self-esteem. Today, we're talking about life, relationships, and everything in between. Take it away, Sophia. Welcome to another episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. I have with me the courageous Amanda Panda, and I love that, love that, love that, simply because she is a mental health advocate as well as a wonderful mommy. So enough of my babbling. Amanda, you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell the people all about you and what you do. Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, I guess I'd say I'm sort of an accidental advocate, um, but something that I, I fell into. Um, mental health has been something that's impacted my family for at least five generations, oh, wow. um, probably more. Um, but, you know, things weren't necessarily diagnosed way back when. So it's definitely impacted my family for a long time. Um, and it's something that I've, you know, struggled with anxiety really intensely as a child, a young child, since like age three, um, and then depression, you know, kind of from maybe about 10 or so on. So I was impacted. And then um, when I became a mom, I was always, you know, pretty aware of things, but um, I ended up with um, my two older daughters um, diagnosed with um, different forms of uh, bipolar disorder, bipolar one and bipolar two. And um, the my middle child also ended up uh, diagnosed with PTSD um, as a survivor of um, sexual assault. So it became like just sort of a, a major life thing where our world was very much enveloped in appointments, doctor's appointments, therapy appointments, sometimes hospitalizations. It was intense, but I was very silent about it. It wasn't something I talked to about anyone. No one knew about it outside of my personal circle. And then when, when my daughter, um, she made a major suicide attempt and we were there at the hospital. We were in the pediatric ICU unit because she had to have um, emergency dialysis mm. in order to save her organs, save her life. Um, yeah. Which you know, pediatric ICU units are amazing places, but they're very emotionally intense places because every kid that's in there is like truly fighting for their life. Absolutely. You know, if whether they're injured, you know, the little boy across the hall um, had been um, hit by a stray bullet um, playing in a park. You know, it, it's just really intense kids struggling with, you know, early diagnosis of major diseases and so when you're there, you're there with these other parents and we're all exhausted and our eyes are red and there's a lot of empathy for one another. But I noticed everyone else was in the waiting room, like talking on the phone and getting a lot of support from friends and family. And I was just quiet. I didn't want to talk about it. So I realized that that in itself was kind of damaging. We weren't out there asking for prayers for her recovery because we didn't want to talk about it. And it wasn't I didn't see it as being shame because I, you know, had been pretty open about talking with my own issues, but it was like I was trying to protect them, but that in itself was shaming. Right. So, yeah. So I opened up and when I opened up, um, it, it kind of was this amazing thing that happened where all these, 
these people um, that I didn't know had struggled came forward and said, we've been through this also, or we're currently struggling with this. And it really just opened the door for connections and it became very valuable. And then, you know, my daughter, when she pulled out of it, that was something that we kind of decided together, okay, we're going to, we're going to be a voice. Like a lot of people are, can't do this for whatever reason. We've found that we can do this and this that gives us some feelings of strength. So we started, um, you know, doing it in our own ways. Like I do public speaking about it or I've written about it and, and I've, you know, started some like social media movements for her. She does a lot of art related to it because she's a visual artist. Um, nice. She's, and yeah, she's planned, um, like art and poetry events to really like take a very creative approach. Um, she has what she calls stigma smashing parties that Ooh. she's hosted and we, where we literally make a pinata and people write things that they feel stigmatizing. And it's not just mental health. Like a lot of the events talk about different things like, um, like LGBT, especially trans issues or, you know, racial stigmas. Like there's just so many things that people really feel stigmatized by. So we opened it up, but mental health definitely was something that came up consistently where there was just so much shame that people didn't want to talk about it. So that's kind of how I became such an advocate because I had already invested so much time and research into like how to help my children because you know, I had two children impacted and I mm. already, you know, was a little bit more aware than the average person just because it's something that occurred in my family and there were a lot of nurses in my family and my mom was... Um, a nurse in a, a psych unit for, for years when I was growing up. So we had the benefit of awareness, but I wanted to kind of do better about sharing that and really just pushing back against the stigmas that are associated. So that's kind of how I dove into this. And, um, and then just because I was out there with it, people started coming to me, you know, asking for help, either finding resources or to be, you know, more active, like more of an activist, like, you know, what do I do to, you know, push my legislators to support this more and, and things like that. So that's how I got into this whole arena. Wow. And that's a fabulous story. And isn't it funny how when you decide to talk about it, you find all of these allies, so to speak, that didn't have the courage to talk about it until you did. Absolutely. That was the biggest, that was the most eye-opening thing because I shared the story like on, um, I kind of sent it out in, a, in an individual letter on Facebook to probably like a hundred people that I felt safe with. I didn't even right. share it, you know, beyond that. It was like my safe people and so many out of that group, really a huge portion opened up to me about their own struggles and I had no idea. And these are people that we could have been supporting one another had anyone felt comfortable coming forward but because there's so much you know there's like this this blanket of shame that covers us and so we don't get support like you know if, if my kid was in that that same hospital unit because she had just been diagnosed with cancer there would be no shame I would be out there saying hey send mm -hmm. your prayers mm -hmm. and so that's why I realized I really like we needed to be better about it and it's really and other people have come forward you know since then and it's really I've I feel like we've, we're building a much more positive community and and the needle is definitely shifting on mental health just in general this isn't just you know in my family but we definitely are seeing some some headway when it comes to talking about it in non-stigmatizing ways and then that's from people coming forward that's from people whether it's you know 
the rock or <laughs> whoever, like the most current ones like that. Every time somebody comes forward and says, Hey, I struggle. Then the rest of us can say, Oh, okay. Like I'm not alone in this. Absolutely. And I think that's the most important thing because we, like you said, it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? We always feel so alone and we feel that, okay, it's our child and some, I don't know if it was you, I can say it with me. It was possibly, did I do something wrong to make my child go through this? Yes. And I don't want to put it out there and make people think that, you know, I'm a bad parent when that is so far from what it is. Absolutely. And I still, I honestly, that's still something I struggle with. And, you know, like I said, I've done some public speaking. And and so um, one of the things I did was to connect with my, uh, my congresswoman. Right. So my congresswoman has invited me multiple times when there's, whenever there's a topic that has to do with healthcare, a lot of times mental health gets overlooked. And she's very good about changing that and wanting to proactively like seek out stories that are that are also inclusive of mental health. So that I've done some speaking for her. And, you know, when I do that on her page, there are going to be some people that attack me. It happens. And I know going into it that that's going to happen. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm lucky to have enough support where I can handle that. But it mm-hmm. happens. Like, I obviously, you know, I've, I have. I've had my parenting questioned and you know, and it's hard and it's hard to be out there with a story like this, knowing that people are going to do that. Um, But I have to push back against it. I mean, these are medical conditions when I, you know, it's, it's genetic, you know, it's chemical. And yeah, there are things that definitely, you know, trauma is a real thing that also activates it. And, and, you know, like I said, with my, with my middle daughter, you know, that was something that happened hundreds of miles away from here and I don't get into the details of her story but like I know when I say my daughter you know is a sexual assault survivor that people are going to look at me and say oh like you really messed up as a parent and you know and I'm aware of it and so it's it is hard to talk about it and I don't expect everybody to be able to talk to it but we've chosen that we're going to be out there with this story because we feel like more good comes from it than the the bad that comes of it. So I have more people that come to me and say, oh my God, thank you for sharing. You know, I had this happen too. Then I have people that attack me. So, you know, it's, it's all for the, the greater good. And, you know, in my heart, I know I'm a, I'm a really good mom. <laughs> like I, 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 you know, I go above and beyond for my kids and I kind of, you know, turned my life upside down and had to leave my corporate career in order to focus on their health. And, and I know what I do, so I'm okay with it. You know, I know fundamentally a lot of times when we hear a lot of um, either victim shaming or parent mm-hmm. shaming, you know, that is super prevalent. And a lot of that is just fear and people yeah. are afraid of things. And so it's easy to attack someone and like, oh, they did this and I'll never do that. So this won't happen to me. And it's all about about their fear. And, and I, when I see that I can have compassion for them. And, and that is what helps, you know, prevent me from getting really angry or really hurt is recognizing that they're human and that they're scared. And it's hard to like lean into these very vulnerable things, but I find the more I lean into it and recognize, you know, just kind of our common humanity, the easier it is to, to cope with, with some of that. 
I so that's, agree. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish it. No, 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 no. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing here, I guess. <laughs> no, I was like, I can agree. But you know, I think that they see people who lash out and, and say nasty things. I would say that they find some similarity in their lives and they're afraid that it's going to show up in their lives or yeah. something they're ignoring and you brought to their attention and they don't want to deal with it. Right. And that's so. understandable. It's very uncomfortable. Like, I am not exaggerating when I say that those two things, like having my child, like nearly, she nearly died. She very nearly died. Um, and she was suffering intensely and she was abused. And those are like, as a mother, my absolute worst possible fears. Like, and they kind of hit me all within like a, a short, like six month period in 2016. I had to I had to address all these fears. I had to go into some intensive therapy myself. I had to go through not just regular therapy. I went through EMDR because I was having panic attacks and it brought up some of my own traumas that I didn't even really know were there. Like it, it, in order to support her, I had to really like fortify my own, you know, mental health mm -hmm. um, just to get through it. And so I, I understand people, it makes them uncomfortable and it's scary and you know, and I, and I see where that is. And sometimes it's not just that. Sometimes it like affirms a lot of the messages you hear. So, you know, you hear like we're, you know, kids these days are ruined by this and that and all these bad parenting choices are causing these mental health ailments. And so, you know, it's pretty, you know, easy to target someone struggling and attack. But like I said, I think a lot of that just comes from internal fears like what we're afraid we're doing wrong because as a parent like there's no you know there's no textbook that can 100% <laughs> guide you to be like a successful parent we're all just like doing our best and trying to figure yeah. it out so we I think all parents have that fear like oh my god am I doing this right is you know are my kids going to be okay so anything that that brings out that fear you know is going to naturally cause a lot of intense emotions Absolutely. And I feel deep down in my heart that you're given the parents or the children that you are equipped to take care of as the best of your ability, no matter what higher power you believe in. Mine just happens to be God. But no matter what, the child that you are given, you have the sufficient amount of strength to parent that child. And when they grow up, they will have the experiences and the sufficient amount of um, wherewithal to parent their children if they so choose to have children. But there's no, there, like, you're right, there's no textbook to, to being a parent. You just do the best you can. That's why grandparents are so awesome because they realize <laughs> all the ways that they jacked up their kids and they're determined <laughs> not to do it to the grandchild. So right. that's just my, my thought on grandparenting because, I mean, I'm, I'm going off, the topic here, but it's just like, I wonder with my parents, I'm like, where the heck were you when I was growing up? Because I don't remember these people. Like aliens came down, took my very strict parents and replaced them with some really nice people that I've never met before. <laughs> so true. You know what? We're all human and we're all evolving. And that's, that's a good thing. And I feel lucky. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents because my mom was young when I was born. And so I had the advantage of an extended family that, that raised me. And, you know, some people can look at that like, oh my gosh, you know, you were born, my mom was 17 when I was born. She was still in high school. So I lived with my grandparents for the first few years of my life. Right. And, um, 
and to me, it's just so valuable. Like they were amazing and they had been through a lot. They had been through, they had lost a, a child not long before I was born. He was a kid and he got hit by a car and it was like, yeah. they were very on the surface with their, with their own suffering and very, but very honest about it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, they absolutely had their own mental health struggles. My, my grandfather was um, bipolar and not, he was not diagnosed until very late, very, a very late age. So it was, you know, undiagnosed for a long time, but he had his master's degree. He was a teacher. He was a, a civil rights advocate. You know, he brought a busload of kids to see MLK. He was a, he was an inspiring guy. Awesome. And yeah. And he, despite having, having bipolar disorder and also in some ways because of it, because what some people don't realize is that there's a level of of passion that comes with, you know, some of these things. So when you have someone that you set, let's call it like neuro atypical or whatever, like someone that's outside of what we consider like, you know, normal, mm-hmm. um, it, it does, there are some assets to that. So he was an intensely passionate guy. Everyone in my family is deeply compassionate because going through struggles, like when you come through the other side, you have, a compassion for other kinds of struggles and not just mental health, but any kind of struggles. Um, And I see that with my kids too. They're deeply, deeply compassionate people, you know, because they can relate. So whatever the struggle is, you know, they can find a way to identify it with that and, and really have a deep sense of empathy. So they're also very creative. They, they're artists. Like we have, you know, so I look at my family, we have tons, we have nurses, we have teachers, we have artists, we have social workers, like we have these, these deep feeling occupations, because we're deep feelers. And and part of that, you know, does sort of go hand in hand with, with these sort of, you know, mental health struggles. So, um, you know, I talk to people that don't have the struggles, and they can have, they can definitely have empathy and compassion. It's not like you have to have you know, these kinds of struggles to have it. It's just that ours seems to be this like package deal where we, you know, where there's, you know, these, these deep kind of um, trenches of challenge and suffering and, and those deep trenches get filled with compassion and joy and all these other things. We're just, you know, deep feelers. So that was probably way off topic from whatever you asked me, but that's just no, something no, nothing, that I've seen. Nothing is off topic. It's, <laughs> like I said, it's a free-for-all. We talk and we have real conversations. And when people have real conversations, you veer off, but eventually it all comes back together. So feel free. <laughs> Thank you. But what I noticed, like you said, you have so many people, um, different occupations in your family. I noticed everyone is in a servant leader role. Yeah. Yeah, we you have nurses and you said social workers and you have just all these people, teachers that are serving because th- that's where it's needed. They understand that they're needed in these areas of compassion. So I so love that. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. And, um, and like, and I, Oh, I was talking about grandparents. And so I'm grateful <laughs> that I had these gran- grandparents that, that had been through a lot and could really share a lot of, you know, wisdom with me. And I was young. I just loved that. I would soak it up. I would listen to all their stories and it just fascinated me. And, um, and I noticed my kids are the same way. They love talking to my mom and they love hearing like, you know, just stories about how things were or, or just talking to other people. Like, you know, my daughter, my eldest, when she, uh, she worked at a grocery store as a bad girl. And, and sometimes when she would be walking someone out with their carts, like, 
she'd ask them what what were things like when you were young, just like oh. an older woman, just to learn about it and to hear, you know, hear about their experiences and how things have changed. I think we just, you know, we're so, our feelings are very much on the surface, which can be challenging, you know, when you have like, when you struggle with your moods, you know, it's out there, but there, there are some beautiful things about, you know, being out there with your feelings. Like we, we can connect with, with people like that. So, which makes it, you know, it's, it's hard for me to hear, you know, after what happened in Parkland and every time there's like a mass shooting, you hear a lot about, you know, mental health and, and this, this kind of false association between someone with a mental illness and being violent. And that's just statistically false. Like in my experience, it's been false. Like it, it's just, when you really look at it, it's not, not only is it not true, but it's really harmful to people that actually have these, like these conditions, whether it's, you know, a genetic medical condition that's causing their mental health struggles, or it's a trauma induced condition causing it. You know, it's, it can be harmful to associate, like, these are the people that go and shoot things, because it's, it's just not, it doesn't fit with the truth. So, you know, that's part of, like, what we want to do, and, and pushing back against the stigma, and that's something, like, um, so I have a community, it's called uh, Mammals for Mental Health, and we, yes. we have, um, we have a Facebook group where we talk about things, and, and it's like, part of it's just support, part of it is like, hey, I'm struggling today, I'm having, you know, I had a panic attack, do you guys have any suggestions on ways to help, like, lessen the effects of a panic attack, so we can just talk very openly, like, yeah, this is what helps me, these are some breathing tips, or meditation, or whatever, so we can talk about that, but we also talk about things like, you know, I posted a picture of a, a billboard that was, like, it was about um, mental illness and how, you know, not everyone has access to care, but everyone has access to guns. And although like the mm -hmm. billboard had a positive intent, the intent to draw attention to, we need to improve our, our mental health care system, which we absolutely do. But the effect is still this association that people with mental health issues or mental illness or whatever are going to get guns and shoot people. And that, that stigma even good intention people are still promoting the stigma. So that's something else we talk about in this group is how to push back against stigmas um, that come from all directions, even well-meaning people can use very stigmatizing language. So we do that, you know, we talk about, you know, actual like legislation that affects healthcare. We talk about resources, you know, like support groups, like, like NAMI has wonderful support groups and, and classes, um, which is very valuable, especially for parents, you know, parents like me that are like in this world of being a caretaker to kids that have, you know, mental health struggles, like support is just crucial because you can't necessarily talk to your friends about it in a way that they'll understand if their kids don't, don't have these conditions and they're like, oh, that's normal teenage behavior. And mm. it's not <laughs> like right. it's, it's just, you know, when you're like living your life, like, no, I can't go out with you because I can't, you know, leave my 16 year old home alone. And they don't understand. They're like, oh, well, of course they can be ha have left home alone. And you're like, no, you know, my kid, like we have a safety plan. We have to lock up medicines and sharp things. Like there's just a lot of experiences that the average person can't relate to just because it's not part of their worldview and because we don't 
openly like talk about it out there in society. So, so the group is just kind of like a community and safe space for, for advocates. So people that don't even have, they're not impacted at all. No one in their family has issues any mental health issues, they don't have them. However, it's something that they realize is an issue in society and they want to help fix, um, as well as, you know, parents that, that are caretaking, you know, these kids that, that are struggling. And then we have people that are impacted themselves. And then we have some that are all three, like they're, they're advocates, they're out there like that. In my case, like, yeah, I've had anxiety and depression since I was a kid. And I also have kids that are struggling and, and other people. And, you know, I, my, I lost an aunt to suicide, so I know how it feels like it's it's real. You know, once you've lost someone, the the reality that like this this is this is a way that that people die and it affects you, you know, forever once you've had that experience. But if you haven't had that experience, sometimes it's, it just doesn't even feel real. You know, even though you know, suicide's like the, I think it's the second leading cause of death in children and young adults from age 10 to 24. It is a major, major, you know, more common than cancer, more common than like any of the, you know, common diseases. It's like second only to accidents, I believe. So even though we have this, you know, that's a mental, I mean, that's a, that's a health crisis. That's a true, like, something we need to work on and yet we just we don't know how to talk about it <laughs> we you know when we do talk about it it's in these really unusual ways like like we blame it on bullying which you know obviously we want our kids to be kind and, and we don't want bullying to happen but that's a way oversimplified view of what what is really going on and thank you yeah you know it, it doesn't that's not you know if and you know, if you look at, like, the CDC um, did, a, did a study, um, they did study bullying and, and suicide to see if they could find any correlation. And as a singular issue, it just isn't a primary cause. If it's that on top of other things, like if they already have, you know, a diagnosable, um, you know, mental health condition, like if they already have depression or bipolar or something, and in addition to that, they're being bullied, then there's a heightened risk. Or if they've had trauma, trauma is a much more significant indicator. You know, PTSD is, is very real. And, and it's not just the initial trauma, like, you know, the way, you know, something my, my daughter experienced was some really intense victim shaming, where she really felt like it was her fault. Because the first you know, one of the first people that she talked to about it said, oh, well, you shouldn't have been wearing short shorts and you shouldn't have been doing this. And now, you know, and it just like all the language surrounding that and even unintended sort of feelings of shame that come from like, you know, the police during an investigation or the legal process when they're saying, well, you know, did you say no? And how did you do this? And like all of that language kind of adds to this like feeling that, you know, that we cause it. And so something I do when I, when I go out and talk to people is like, just tell them it is not your fault. And a lot of times when I'm out there talking and saying, it is not your fault. If you've been through something like this, I'm going to say it over and over again. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. And I'll have so many people afterwards come and hug me and say, nobody's ever told me it wasn't my fault. Oh, wow. And it's intense. You know, it's, you know, it's emotional. Um, and this can be really, you know, exhausting. And that, like, we went out and started talking about this before the Me Too movement. And I think there's, you know, that's been really helpful because people are now finally able to talk about it and really know that they're not alone and that, 
you know, the things that it isn't their fault, that we have some like serious fixing to do, like not just as individuals, but as a society about how we talk about it. And, you know, what my daughter experienced, it was a woman that told her, oh, you shouldn't have been wearing short shorts and this and that. Like, it's not just men. Mm. Um, as women, you know, we need to do better about the language we use as well. So it's like, it's a full social thing. It's not, and, and I've, you know, something I've experienced is a lot of men that have come forward and told me that they're also survivors a lot of times as, as children and, and their shame and not being able to talk about it. So we tend to like, you know, over simplify things in a lot of ways. And this is another way that we do it. So, um, I have a, a good friend that we worked with. I, I mentioned that my daughter had this, these stigma smashing parties yeah. and, um, and a girl that, that just a friend of a friend kind of, and we got connected and she's an artist also. And she runs um, a page called yes and consent. Mm-hmm. And she also um, is a survivor, a sexual assault survivor and is very focused on raising awareness on things like, you know, experiences of survivors and how to support survivors and to really push back against victim shaming. And, um, and she also receives a lot of stories as part of her art pieces. She does like large story walls, which are installation art pieces where she includes the stories in their own words of survivors. And a lot of those, you know, there's just a lot of diversity. It's not just a single like person getting, you know, raped in an alleyway. That's just not the typical story. There's a lot of different ways people can be impacted. Men, women, children, boys, like everyone, you know, has sort of their different story they tell. And, um, and it's eye opening because again, like when you're out there with a story, suddenly it opens the door for other people to tell you their story because, you know, they're safe. And, um, and that's just something we both experienced how, shocking it was once coming forward the experience that other people had and a lot of people have this feeling that um it wasn't that bad like somebody else has it worse and i think a lot of a lot of us do that (laughs) we like we can we downplay traumas that we've been through and tell ourselves well it's not as bad as someone else's and that really makes it hard for us to heal Mm -hmm. from you know, once when we're downplaying it, because yes, you know, there's always going to be some story about some, you know, some other person who's had it worse, but that doesn't mean your trauma is insignificant and not deserving of your, you know, self-love and, and healing process. Absolutely. That's, oh, that whole, I don't want to call it a rant, but that whole, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, 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 that was fine. All of it, it just made sense and it put things in order and it it just said a lot of things that needed to be said. And it's like, we're afraid to say it for fear of, for fear of the backlash, but it needs to be said because it's even like we're shamed into not using the language that everyone else is using. Yeah. It's just hurting a lot of people by doing so. So that's amazing. So, but let me ask you, your, your group, do you have, are you on any other social media platforms? Because I know not everyone consumes their social media the same way. Are you over on Instagram or is it just Facebook? Where else are you found? We're on, we're on um, Facebook and Twitter right now, but we'll have the Instagram up shortly. Um, you know, it's, a, it's still a young group and we just kind of put it out there based on the fact that so many people were reaching 
out to me personally for advice. Okay. That's that I was like, well, it makes more sense if we do this as a community because I'm just like, you know, I'm just one person. And, and I like, I also recognize that I needed support because there are times where I don't have like the energy, you know, I go through my own, you know, down times where I'm just not up for social media, like for, for my own mental health, I have to take breaks. So I've, you know, asked a couple friends to kind of step in with me so that we can do this as a group so that it can be, you know, a community that continues on even when I'm, I have to pull away from my own mental health or to take care of the kids or whatever. So we're, it's an awesome group. Um, we have several uh, therapists that are in the group, which obviously a support group is never a substitute for, for therapy or for medical treatment or whatever, but it's nice to have such a, a diverse mix. So we have, you know, a lot of different kinds of medical professionals that are just members of the group, but they offer their insight. We have a lot of people that personally are, are impacted that, you know, talk about what has helped them. And then we have, you know, people that are just, like I said, that are advocates that are just there to talk about how we, you know, push forward and improve things. And so we don't, you know, it's a, a couple hundred people right now, but it's growing. So, you know, hopefully this is something that, we can push forward and, and on the agenda is to have a blog where people can share their experiences anonymously if they choose to, but to really like build compassion. Cause I think, you know, it's one thing to see statistics, but it's another thing to hear someone's story. And I know that's why I started speaking. Our story is because, you know, we're humans and we've had this experience and, and sharing that story is really like, open the door to other people sharing their stories. And it was open with me. Like it, you know, I was inspired because, uh, you know, a young lady that I knew had a, a semicolon tattoo. And when I asked her about it and she explained what the semicolon tattoos are about, which if you're not aware, it's a, it's to signify um, my story isn't over yet. It's a tattoo that a lot of suicide survivors um, get or people that are, you know, have survived losing someone to suicide. It's just kind of a, or depression survivors, a reminder, my story isn't over yet. Like I'm the author of my story and I'm going to keep going. So when she shared that with me, that was her opening the door that I could talk to her as a safe person. And that's part of what inspired me to kind of be more open with, with my family's story that, and, you know, my daughter's also pushed because the generation coming up behind us, is so much more open to just the diversity of people in general, <laughs> whatever their stories are. They're just, you know, they're better about things like not shaming and, you know, they're better about accepting people kind of as there are and pushing to be better. So I have a lot of hope for the future just because I see this generation coming up just being so much more open-minded and compassionate and, um, and I think they're really going to take us to a better place than we are currently socially. Awesome. Now you mentioned earlier that you're an author as well. Do you have books out? Where can we read from you? Um, they are, I don't have anything. I'm like a hesitant person. I write, but uh, I haven't published yet. And that's, okay. well, I've published some shorter pieces, but not any of the books. Um, I'm working right now on a, a memoir in verse, just about, kind of, you know, a family with multiple generations impacted by, by mental health. And for me, I, 
I like to do poetry when I'm talking about some of this deeper emotional stuff, just because I feel like, like I cut out all the extra words and I get right down to just the emotions. So at some point, the plan is to to publish that. But for now, um, I'll probably, you know, stay with little things like like blogs and whatnot until that's that's ready to go out into the world. But um, but yeah, we definitely have hopes um, for other things and to be out there. So we'll see what happens in the future. And, and I'm, you know, it's funny because by profession, I used to work in human resources, which is valuable because I think it helped me to like better understand people. And then now, you know, I'm an artist by like, as far as what pays the bills, that's what the flexible thing that helps me take care of my kids. So I do, um, so I do chalkboard art. So I'm kind of all over the place creatively and I think that's part of this new adventure that we're going on is to really encourage people to share how they create, like their creative outlets. And so right. in our group, a lot of really talented artists or really talented poets and writers. And, um, and that's something that, that I think will help us push forward because sometimes, you know, the artistic side, just aside from any kind of political or medical or whatever, but when you get to just, the true art, whether it's visual art or film or writing or whatever, you know, the stories that are there, there's just a humanity to them that I think helps us um, connect at sort of a deeper level. Got you. Got you. Well, we look forward to reading whatever it is you put out because (laughs) I mean, I've been captivated this whole time we've been talking. So I am excited and I just want to thank you for sharing Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for, for having me. And, and, um, and thank you for putting all of your like positive messages out into the world. I think it's just really valuable and, um, and helpful. And that's, that's what it's all about is kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for promoting compassion. And and that's what I see you doing a lot. So I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. I mean, there's just so much of the other stuff. You just have to put something else out, just not to go crazy by yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I mean, it as minuscule as it may seem, it's like somebody somewhere needs some positivity. So just let me put this out here. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and your your group is called? It's Mammals for Mental Health. And it's on um, Facebook. Yep, it's oh. on Facebook. Um, there's a, a group and a page. And, okay. um, and the group is more of like a community-based, like anybody can post. And it's a closed group oh. just because it's sensitive. Um, yeah. But it is, you can search for it. If you search for it, you'll find it. So it's just... We keep it closed just so people feel more comfortable, you know, talking about things that maybe are, you know, sensitive. Um, but but we encourage anybody to join, and we do have rules about things like um, respect. Like, that's not compromisable. <laughs> so if you're not respectful, you, you know, obviously you can't stay in a group that, that that's so necessary. Um, and the page is more just for, for sharing information because sometimes people want to share things outside of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good too. So, and, uh, and yeah, so the Instagram will be coming soon and we're still, we're, we're a very young group. So we're still kind of, you know, getting, getting things organized and, 
and sort of learning our way and where we fit in the, the bigger picture. Um, but I definitely welcome any, any listeners to join and, and be a part of the conversations. Awesome. Awesome. So everybody, you heard it here. You are welcome. If you have a story, if you have anything to share, if you just want to encourage others, please, please, please go join because there's nothing like support. Yep. So again, thank you, Amanda, for being here. My Amanda Panda, I am so (laughs) grateful to you and I wish you and your family all the best. Thank you so much, Sophia. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. Alrighty. All right, we are done and done. Yay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. Feel free to call in with comments and questions anytime. The number is 786-749-TLAK. That's 786-749-8255. Call us and let us know what is on your mind. Until we meet again, be courageous.